You're listening to Hey, Cool Job with Mary H.K. Choi. So the thing about our next guest, just like all of our guests so far, is that he is a friend of mine who I admire. His name is Will Welch, and you'll learn the exacts of his job as style editor of GQ magazine in just a little bit. But the one thing I wanted to point out right now is how much I just love and respect how he steered his career in such a way that he's just been steadily rising at this job for eight years and just getting better and better over time. It's this thing that, you know, when you're starting out as just a lowly intern in New York, you have some idea, but you can never actually gauge who's going to wind up being super successful, who's going to burn out, or who's going to just set fire to every professional relationship they've ever had. And with Will, I just... It's been rewarding to watch him organically turn into Will Welch from GQ as this like institution, basically. And that is no shots. I'm not saying he's old or anything. He's dedicated time and effort to being really good at what he does. And I wish I had even one modicum of such patience and fortitude. I'm way more capricious and hot-headed about everything to do with work, as many people who have worked with me can testify to. And I thought if I just maybe rooted around in his brain, I could find some secrets to how to have some fucking chill when it comes to my own career. Hi, Will. Hey, Mary. How long have you been at GQ for? Eight years in April. So, yeah, eight years. So you started when you were like 12. Yeah, I was, I was 11 going on 12. <laughs> uh, I had a big birthday party the first year here. Cool. Um, no, I was, it was 2007, so I was uh, 26 when I started. Where did you grow up? I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. Born and grown. Okay. When did you move to New York? <laughs> I moved to New York in 1999 for college. Uh, went to Columbia. And, uh, so you're smarty pants. Not really, but I, I, was, uh, I remember getting to New York and I was standing at Columbus Circle watching all the cars go around in circles. Were you weeping? Did no, you have to I wasn't. touch your face to make sure you were crying? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wasn't crying, but I did touch my face to make sure I could feel it. And the uh, cars were just like spinning around Columbus Circle. And I was like, if one person decided that they didn't care about traffic lights, like... That's where your brain all hell would All hell would break loose. Like, how does this... I felt like this place is hanging on by a thread. Do you still feel that way about New York? Uh, no, not really. Hmm. Not really. Um... Crossing the street is a daily adventure, but otherwise, um, true. No, and now your your beautiful digs at One World Trade Center. Yes, we're looking out at the unfinished Santiago Calatrava uh, transit hub. I, I thought it was really <laughs> funny when um, uh, in in the New York Magazine piece about Santiago Calatrava, and they were like, uh, "What's the deal with the rust?" What and is he, the deal with the he rust? He was like, "The rust. It's not painted yet." <laughs> But he didn't know that all anybody talks about is how it's already rusting yeah, yeah, because yeah. he's like the architect and nobody said it around him. Right. Well, I, I feel like it's just trying to fit in with New York. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so. Probably. Maybe so. It's not fitting in with New York, though. Let's talk a little bit about your journey. Hashtag. I mean, did you always want to be a magazine since you were like a wee tyke in Atlanta, Georgia? No, not at all. Um, I just wanted to be writing when I was in college. Uh, I was an English major and just nerd. really, yeah, super nerd. Yeah. And really liked to write. And so I was like, I want to, I would like to be paid to write. And is that uh, what you majored in? Yeah, English lit. Okay, why not like journalism school? Like, because so many people go through Columbia for that, especially. Yeah. Um, because I wasn't like particularly interested in journalism. Okay. I liked reading books and writing about them. And so uh, kind of heading into senior year, I just remember thinking, if I can find a way to be getting paid to write, that would be sweet. And magazines, uh, what's the first? 
thing. That it's the most obvious right. place where you can get Especially paid, Especially right? in New York. Yeah. So how did you get an internship at Fader? Was that your first sort of like media situation? It definitely was, okay. yeah. Uh, I started two weeks before I graduated from college, and what happened is a friend of mine was in who went to the University of Georgia. He was at a bar in Athens, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Athens used to be a thing. <laughs> Athens is still, no, Athens, the classic city, man, it's still, it's always a thing. Athens is a thing forever. But he was sitting at a bar uh, and started like talking shit about a basketball game on TV with two guys next to him, and mm-hmm. it turned out to be uh, Knox Robinson and Eddie Brannon, who, right. uh, wh- who were the kind of like two OG, guys, yeah, yeah, OG fader, fader, fader dudes, and. Uh, so he start, he struck up a conversation with them and then was like, oh, I've got a friend in New York who's about to graduate from college and is really into music and likes to write. Mm-hmm. And so he like, got Knox's email address. And so that actually works, apparently. Yeah, in it works. In cer- certain circumstances. Yeah. But, I mean, to be, to be clear, though, it wasn't that you just got this surreptitious, like, intro and then, like, that was it. You were at Fader for a while. Like, how yeah. long did you intern for? I was an intern for uh, a summer. I was bar backing at the park. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember Trilling the park? <laughs> yeah, there's a. For people who don't know the park, there's a, it, uh, there was like a three month. There was like a two month period where people like Gwyneth Paltrow were going there, and it was a big deal because there was a hot tub on the rooftop. Right. And I was a bar back there after that time when they were just like making money on all the people who right. dreamed of being in Sex in the City, right. but were definitely not. Um, <laughs> but I made such good money as a bar back at the park, and then I was working days at the fader for free obviously and then um at some point along the way they offered me a very assistant-y starty position how did you make yourself so exceptional that they took notice and hired you because i mean that's not such a like a logical through line anymore yeah i think i got along with uh the people who worked there really well so i was just like uh, I guess ingratiated myself into the office culture and the music conversations, and then. But how do you do that without being the, the worst person on such uh, an assistanty interny level? Yeah, well, it's. I mean, the great thing about being at a small magazine is it's tiny. Right. So there were there were like five, four of us and five of us in a room, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, you just got to be not annoying and then have like smart actual contributions to the conversation, and then I said. Um, I would really like to write a story on this band from Athens, Georgia, and I was going home, and uh, Knox and Eddie were like, you can write the story, but we're not necessarily going to publish it, but you're welcome to give it a shot. Right. Because um, s- this predates the internet, where everything just went up. Yeah, they were like, <laughs> oh, content, and threw it up. Yeah, no, they actually would have had to They had to publish it. And so um, I just wrote it basically on spec. How, how long was the piece? Uh, 500 words. Oh, so that's lengthy. Was it like a, a, an F... A Gen F, yeah. A Gen F, yeah. yeah. Nice. Which Gen F is like the new talent sort of thing. Yeah. A a, show it improve. was a one-page profile. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the show improve of the right, fader, right, right. exactly. How did you feel when you finally got a byline? I yeah. felt good. It wasn't like, oh, this is this is like my the dream was to it. see my name in a magazine. It wasn't like the Highlander with like it was like lightning and thunder. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I was just like, this is this is really cool. Uh, this is a band I really love, and I said something that I'm proud of about them, and my name's on it, and and that's great. This, w- you know, what it was, it was like this wouldn't have been here if I hadn't uh, just kind of like gathered my confidence and and uh, asked if I could do it, right. and it all worked out from there. So. To, it was a little bit of that feeling of like creating something out of nothing. Totally. I mean, the, the nice thing about you too is that you're you're kind of like this New York person, but I mean, you're also very Southern. I'm sure you, you were very just sort of like genteel about asking in the right way and all that stuff. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I, the social graces, uh, I guess, 
come thanks, somewhat naturally. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. After that, did you just, like, write more? Was that just, like, that was your foot in the door and that was it? Yeah. In terms the, of the fader? Yeah, it was very much off and running from there. How much writing did you do from Jump uh, from that point? Just ungodly amounts of writing. Okay. It was, um, you know, there were just a few of us and, and we were all sort of, doing everything in in in-house so Mm -hmm. so by everything you mean also like fact checking and like yeah you copy edited your own stories you fact checked your own stories you um you know talked about had the conversations about how things should be shot you set up the shoots you booked the Mm -hmm. talent deal with the publicist like deal with the publicist yeah Mm -hmm. that's what was so cool about it it was like complete magazine making by four people no totally I mean coming from indie publishing myself I think that that's one of the most invaluable things that you learn because you you figure it out in terms of even like shipping from the printer or like blue lines and things that like a lot of people in larger magazines when they're just used to doing one sort of mono job don't get the, the whole purview so I, I think about that at GQ all the time because there are young people here who mm-hmm. like they file text to an editor and then next thing they know it's like alive. Like, here's a printed here's the first bound copies of the magazine and your name's in it and they have no idea what happened. Right. And I think that in in a lot of ways too the fact that we do know every aspect or every step of it like makes you love the book more. Mhm. It's Definitely. not this like cold artifact. It's like something that you sort of like Gave birth to, yeah. yeah. And and you learn about photography and design. That's and true. Bookings, you, you really, you, you're involved in every aspect. And, you know, what, what an editor does at GQ is, in part, coordinate right. all of those departments and make sure they're all working together. Because so. it really is like an air traffic control situation. It is. You have simultaneous deadlines. You have, like, a bunch of working people working on different moving parts. Yep. Um, and that's super crucial. So how did you sort of go from the fader to GQ? I knew Adam Rappaport, who was the uh, previous style editor. Mm-hmm. Like he has, he used to basically do the job I do now. Right. Slightly different version, but um, I knew him socially. And how, how socially? Like music, like shows, or like, or just drinks. Uh, yeah, dr- yeah, <laughs> drinks. Um, through uh, my girlfriend at the time was friends with his girlfriend at the time. Mm, got it. So we met that way, and. Um, they had an opening here for an associate editor position, and he called me. And uh, what was your title at Fader when you deputy editor? So you had a really high title at Fader. Yes. And then you came here I was as like, an yeah, associate the number editor. Two. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Did that feel like a lateral move to you? Not at all. Why? Well, I, I had been at the Fader for four and a half years at the time, and was feeling a little bit like I had sort of. Uh, especially at a small magazine where you, you know, I would do like several features per issue. Right. So um, the learning curve, uh, I, I just felt like I, I'd done a, a lot there mm-hmm. and was looking for a way to refresh. Even just in my time interviewing at GQ, you see what a like big professional operation it was. Sure. And so it just seemed like an opportunity. Also, there's an experience at small magazines sometimes where you feel like you're yelling into the abyss a little bit. Oh, I call it doing the running man in outer space. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's way better. Yeah. <laughs> um, as, as I've always said, there's a feeling of doing the running man in outer space. <laughs> um, it took me a second, but it eventually clicked that this would be a place where the, the stuff that I did would be would, would have a much more bigger direct sort of commercial audience. Right. And did you have any trepidation about transitioning from kind of like, because Vader is and has always been a bit of an indie darling yeah. to something that is very blue chips, like old fashioned New York media like GQ. Totally. GQ and Condé Nast. It was like, yeah, I, where I, people like you fucking sell out, table no, flip. Yeah. N- nobody, uh, for better or worse, nobody cared enough about what I was doing to, to, call, <laughs> me, to call me a sell, sell out or flip a table. But um, 
there was definitely some trepidation of you just like whatever the uh, reputation, of, especially from somebody like me who didn't, I'm not like a media hound. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know that much about it other than you just assume that um, uh, Condé Nast is like a very political, Machine, intense, like yeah. media place, um, which is not anything I, I, I knew about at all. So that was definitely scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and Vader was like a little family of people like, blood, sweat, and tears. Right, and also, like, it's like carnies. <laughs> it's yeah. like anytime yeah, you work, yeah. like, no, I feel you. And this is, like, grown-up, you yeah. know, people with jobs and ties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of, like, making that transition coming to GQ, would you say that you immediately found yourself, like, with this crew of, like, mentors? Like, what was the process in terms of, like, transitioning from, like, a place where you have utter autonomy yeah. to a place where you have, like, a lot of people to answer to? That part was really great because I was sort of looking for uh, mentorship. When I was at the Fader, I was sort of like a leader to a bunch of younger right. people, even a though I fish. was pretty young myself. Right. And I was feeling like I wasn't growing that much anymore. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I got here, I remember Adam Rappaport walked me around the office and introduced me to my new coworkers. And it was like, this is Andy Ward. He's been here eight years. Mm-hmm. This is Joel Lovell. He's been here six years. This is Devin Friedman. He has been here four years, but he was here before that. For <laughs> right. a year. It was like, wow, all these people really must like it here. Like lifers. Yeah. Cause yeah. these are like grown men with families and they, and they've stayed. Right. Um, so that was super encouraging to me. Please talk to me about what it's like to be edited by major editor dudes. I mean, I think that you and I sometimes might be the last of the line in terms of people who still are like rigorously edited. Yep. How did that change the way you write? It's just a great process because you realize that somebody who's like smarter than me and understands stories better than me mm-hmm. is like spending all this time was something that I've written. Yeah. And so they're really investing in it and, and putting all of their like brains and experience into it. And so that's just like, that's a cool experience as a writer to begin with. Absolutely. And especially because you're an editor who also writes and as someone who does the same thing, there is just like a sort of free fall, like abandon that yeah. total surrender that you get to entrust an editor with like the result and just be a writer on something is just like, you know, that's dazzling. That's it like is. always really wonderful. It is. It feels like an opportunity. And then it also, uh, you have to get over that idea that when you finish a draft that it's done. It's oh, like, yeah. The work is just beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Well, I mean, basically you have someone smarter than you just like systematically poke holes in sort of like every decision you've made. <laughs> totally, totally. And then you come to, to rely on it, which is why for people who are, uh, sort of weirdly old school. Like I'm 34 years old, but I'm weirdly old school when it comes to the internet. And it's intimidating to me to write something and hit publish immediately mm-hmm. because I'm used to like uh, having somebody re- really smart go through it first. Right. And you know, like Devin Friedman, who's the what's his title, like director of special so projects, projects or yeah. something. But he's like the keeper of the GQ voice. For sure. And I really prefer not to publish things that he hasn't read. No, it's true. I I, I love working with him. Yeah. I mean, we just. Yeah, he gets a lot of like emails from me, being like, "What is this word for blah blah?" And yeah. He's just like very, very. Or he just like patient. he gives me free jokes all the time. Like, I also make me look good. I also give him free jokes, so I feel like it's the circle. Yeah, but of life you've here. got you've got jokes to spare, and I don't. What are you like as a boss? Like you are a little bit older. Do you have like a lot of minions now? Uh, no, I definitely don't have a lot of <laughs> a, a lot of minions, and I don't really think of myself as a boss. I mean, I really, guess because a leader. I feel like a lot of people. Like, you're this, like, GQ institution at this point, and I think that there is a lot of people who say nice things about you and having worked under you. 
totally. And, as and, the preposition. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I love I love working with younger people and like take that very seriously and have mm-hmm. made uh, like really concerted efforts to get better at the leadership aspect of of getting sort of old and having been here for eight years. But I always tell anyone that works here that their boss is Jim Nelson, the editor-in-chief. Oh, well, sure. But Jim Nelson is not your typical editor-in-chief. Like his fingerprints are over everything in a way that I think that is is unusual. Yeah. No, that's definitely the case. But I, I find that that is a helpful way for people to think because when I, when I got here, I was like, I Adam is my editor and Jim, right. Jim Nelson is my boss. Right. And that, I think, gave me the freedom and the confidence to do uh, – to, to sort of express all kinds of interests mm. and contributions that I had to make that didn't like uh, naturally funnel to Adam, who was my right. like, sort of direct report. Uh, I, I just mean that it's like this is a general interest magazine where everybody's ideas are welcome across the board and not thinking of like having this chain of bosses just helped me feel like I could... Um, so you any just, idea I had, I could... You could fly. I could fly. <laughs> I have wings. So what is Jim Nelson like? Uh, He's kind of like unknowable but known. <laughs> no, in 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 this a very similar way that you are actually. But what is Jim Nelson like? Um, Debunk all the myths. Jim is like very invested. Um, he just really cares about the mag- like. We have a lot of. Uh, six email back and forth over captions at two in the morning. Yeah, he's like that's a real thing. Yeah, yeah. So he just really cares and is really plugged in. And I think he's also uh, the one thing that's cool about GQ is like we can have Wells Tower and Devin Friedman and all these people writing with really different voices in in the magazine. And Zach Barron is doing really lovely as well. He's killing. Yeah, it's been awesome to have. Actually, you know what's funny about your writers? I actually can hear your editors sometimes. Mm. Which is, you know, because I remember when, like, Lotto and Benoit were here, it was, mm-hmm. like, one of those things where, like, you can tell right. who had been responsible for what contribution by the right. way that, like, the lead was set up or yeah. something like that. I think the the thing that that allows for all those different voices, like Chris Heath is another amazing example. Oh, yeah, example, geez, yeah. Is the... Uh, what people in the industry call display, which is the headlines, mm-hmm. all, all the text around <laughs> the actual story itself uh, comes, has a, has a particular voice that it's ties everything together. It's a unified together. voice. And that's Jim, it's Jim's voice or the rest of us like, uh, yeah, doing uh, a gym. Parody, gym yeah, doing <laughs> gym, a gym. Texting you at two in the morning yeah. being like, no though. Are magazines over? No, I, you know. Am I asking entirely the wrong person for that question? Not at all. Not at all. Okay. I, what do you mean? I just feel like you and I are always going to be team magazine. Right. I mean, it could be like... I don't feel... I, I didn't like grow up loving magazines or, or being like, I'm going to work in a magazine or feeling like, um, you know, I just... What like, did you think I don't you were cuddle gonna, with them at night. What did you think you were going to do when you were older? Uh, I, re- I really didn't know. Uh, it, yeah, I just... I liked writing, so I wanted to be doing that. I don't have a better answer than that. Okay. Um, but I don't think magazines are over because, you know, I think there's definitely, we're going through an adjustment period, but I think people still like them and they still provide a really specific service. What do you think of the fact that, like, you know, Frank Ocean and, like, Tyler, their creator, are also creating magazines? Like, do you think, like, thoughts? So awesome. Right. Like, I can't... Because that's w- like, because you're a zine yeah person as yeah well. yeah the best the best thing about having a, a nine to five desk job which i do is uh access to a color printer and a photocopier yeah you know because you can like you can <laughs> make stay, shit yeah my pass like opens the door 24 hours a day so i can like you know steal ink and paper basically and make which you zine. have done i have done yeah yeah, yeah i have it's fun <laughs> um 
you know, yeah, an office is like full of tools, so it's it's cool to have access to it. But yeah, I've, Boys Don't Cry, which is, I, as I understand it, is the name of Frank Ocean's mm-hmm. magazine. Yeah, I can't wait to read that. Yeah, totally. So what other highlights are there of your job in terms of like your job title as style editor? A highlight would be working with Jim Moore. Jim Moore is the creative director here and he mm-hmm. runs the fashion department. We're soon to be celebrating his 35th year at GQ. Jesus. Yeah. So he's like the OG of OGs. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And um, Fred Woodward, who's the design director, uh, and, is, and is also um, a very epic, experienced guy. Um just working with them and learning like, from them, me collaborating with them. All the fashion stories we do is just an ongoing discussion between Jim Moore and I, mm-hmm. and then with Jim Nelson and Fred involved at various points as well. It's just all about like what's going on in style and then what are readers interested in, like mm-hmm. what's going on in the culture and how we can sort of combine all so that to say like something. So it's just like a conversation that you just like really relish that's just yeah. ongoing yeah an ongoing like creative collaborative conversation using these tools which are like clothes and mm-hmm. celebrities of the moment and really excellent photographers it's actually weird to me sometimes that you're the style editor and that it's is weird a, to me too well it's not like you know i'm not like side-eyeing your like no, ensemble no. or anything it's if, just like i'll take that side-eye I was like looking at my questions for today. I was like, what's your governing style philosophy? And I'm like, this is so fucking weird yeah. that I'm asking my friend, Will, who is the person to answer this question, this question. Because yeah. to me, you ha- you're super interested in other things. Like, do you feel like there's any sacrifices in the fact that you've had to hone your purview to style? Because you love music, you love art, you love yeah. all of these other things. And I've, I do... Uh I'm very, very involved with all of our music coverage and our art coverage. Are you still the guy for that? Because I remember, yeah. like, Welch has always been the sort of one for the dads to ask the questions to. Wait, what do you mean? In terms of, like, you were, like, the young buck for a very long time. Oh, yes, And you totally. always knew the cool shows and, like, yeah. the new, like, oh, right, places right, right. to go. Yeah, yeah, I can tell dads what concerts to go to, <laughs> um, for sure. If you call them a show, would they not understand that you're talking about a concert? I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe not, maybe not. Uh, but yeah, like I book our, when we have Kanye West on the cover, I've like facilitated and arranged that. Mm-hmm. And, um, through relationships that you've like had over the years. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because so, a lot of these people, the nice thing also about being in this place for eight years is that a lot of these people you've sort of championed from the beginning so that once you've fostered that relationship, you have it to turn to when they're like, style gods yeah no it's true yeah it's fun uh sort of growing growing up with with different people artists and stuff that you respect and you know they they get like a little page in the magazine and then they get like a bigger Mm -hmm. thing and then maybe one day they grow into a cover and that's awesome to sort of be a part of that for sure especially when it's somebody who you really believe in right their music or their sensibility who else other than kanye would you sort of include in that list I want to say Diplo. <laughs> yeah, Diplo for sure. Because, um, I so, mean, yeah, th- th- there's like, you know, he'll come in for a fashion story about turtlenecks and then he'll get a larger story and then all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, yeah totally. And, uh, you know, Frank Ocean, Drake, right. Rocky, written by Mary H. Kitchen. <laughs> I do <laughs> love Rocky. Yeah, ro- who doesn't love Rocky? He's the best. Pharrell, you know, mm-hmm. we t- we've done a lot with Pharrell Actually, I re- you know what I do remember and I... I remember how much you championed the return of D'Angelo. Yes. Prematurely, some would say, but yeah. kind of at an important point. Right. 
Because you really just like kept that visual candle lit for that dude. Yeah, people people like people make fun of me for that and Julian Casablancas. I'm the ongoing champion of all things Julian Casablancas. <laughs> I, I should change my my title to Julian Casablancas editor slash apologist. Champion. Yeah. Apologist. Yeah. Wait, but let's talk about that a little bit because I think that that is a character trait. I mean, knowing you as well as I do, it's very much in keeping with who you are. You're very loyal, but I think that with the you know, the quick turnover rate and the burn rate of the internet being the internet and journalism being like journalism. Right. Do you make it a point to stay very vocal and very loyal about the people that you believe in? I don't make it a point because it comes naturally, but somebody like D'Angelo, it's, uh, uh, or outcast is another example, but brown sugar and voodoo are, are like fundamental, uh, very important things to me, like mm-hmm. on a soul level. Just it's, tracking it's your what, ingredients. Yeah. Tra- yeah, it is my ingredients, and tracking all the things that are going that are not going on with D'Angelo was like just something I was constantly doing for years and years and years. And, and years you're like, and it's years. about to zeitgeist. Can feel it in my balls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to style, you the the other nice thing about you, and this dovetails nicely with like, your loyalty and stuff. You have established a uniform. Yeah. Yet the, the weird thing is that I've known you for a while, and you look consistent but just more expensive (laughs) (laughs) and maybe more like acts of man jewelry. But other than that, everything's been pretty like crimes against humanity in the form of man jewelry. (laughs) No, like you're a six foot six dude. Like how just to talk shop a little bit, like how did you decide that what you were going to wear? Cause you were routinely wearing black. Yeah. Being around clothes all the time uh, instead of that. I was, I was whatever the opposite of a kid in the candy store is. It was like, <laughs> let me, let me like, let me sort of, you know, the Margella guys all wear lab coats. Right. And so it's not about like the salesman's personal style. Right. It's like, no, he's in a lab coat and he's, he's here to help you find the like see-through knit sweater or cat sweater dreams, of yeah. your dreams. He's single, not single gauge. He's, yeah. He's not there to like express himself. Right. The other thing that was going on is I was just, when you're looking at pictures of guys in perfectly tailored suits all the time, mm-hmm. you can't help but sort of look in the mirror and get frustrated with all the ways that your clothes don't fit right. And Especially you someone of your size. Yeah. And by that, I mean that he's not rotund. He's just really tall. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm six foot six, so that presents challenges. And uh, your eye is just really dialed into like the way things should fit. And then I, I, I just never had time to have that. Um, or I didn't make it a priority you know, to like have that kind of relationship with a tailor going, uh, looking, <laughs> this is, this is years back. Right. Um, I've slowly figured out a way to, uh, Oh, and then Adam Rappaport had this, uh, he wrote this essay in GQ one time called bad outfit feeling. Yes. And it was about where you're going through the day and you have bad outfit feeling and it's really frustrating. And you just want to go home and change, but yes. that's absurd to go home and change. And so it was like a, it was a mission to eradicate bad outfit feeling. I actually think that bad outfit feeling is a universal thing but the interesting thing about bad outfit feeling vis-a-vis GQ is that like chicks would just run to like a fast fashion store and remedy that and I think that that's way more challenging for dudes yeah yeah me too I mean I would just like be annoyed all day right and it sounds silly and self-serious but it was just it it was not a good feeling so is your closet like Smurfette's closet where you open it and it's all the same thing over and over again where it's just like negative space of black clothing yeah basically uh, there's a few old things like shoved all the way in the back, but mm-hmm. when you open it up, yeah, there's a stack of black jeans so and you don't black sp- t-shirts. And- you don't spend any time, like, you just, like, take your top unit, yeah. modular pant unit, shoe, and then yeah. you just, you're out the door. Yeah, and the the 
Uh, again, I apologize if nobody cares about this, but I do. <laughs> I, I do a lot of wearing the exact same thing with just like changing underwear, undershirt, underwear, and socks every day. Because you also have investment pieces. Some, yeah. I mean, but you actually well, spend time on your t-shirts and stuff. Like yes. you're not wearing a shit t-shirt. You're yeah. wearing a very like thoughtfully. Yeah, and and the well fact appointed. is, if, is you can spend. You can buy really nice T-shirts if you only have six to buy, and they're only T-shirts, so they can only be so expensive. Who, who are you wearing? <laughs> uh, uh, today I'm in a Ralph Lauren T-shirt. Oh, okay. And Levi's. That's the other thing is if like if you're a giant American dude, you can count on Levi's and Ralph Lauren, and you'll be okay. Do you feel ever silly and or intellectually compromised by being a serious guy who is serious about fashion, like? Are you taken seriously? I don't feel intellectually comp- compromised by that. It's like it's uh, part of what I've chosen to do for the last eight years. So, uh, if I were going to feel silly about uh, talking about clothes, I would need to feel silly about what I've invested like an outrageous amount, amount of, of time. time. Yeah. Damn near a decade, yeah. friend. Damn near a decade, <laughs> and I work really hard and really long hours over the course of those eight years. Yeah, uh, which is. Is sort of how I'm put together. So if I were going to feel silly talk, uh, talking about clothes, I would like I would need to like go on a vision quest or something. Right, right. just all the ayahuasca. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, take, yeah, all the ayahuasca. Like in the ear. I know you come back with like a blue streak in your hair. It's just always there now. Yeah. Um. So in terms of like, you would look really great. You're like super old fashioned about your like career mores and like politics. I guess. Like you believe in investing in time, your time in a company. Like you, you're a company man. Some would say, which in this day and age is almost like a complete curse word or something. It's like yeah, totally. I, you know, most of my friends um, have flitted back and forth everywhere. Have, have had way more than two jobs. I mean, my You've had two entire jobs career is two jobs. Well, no, 12, twelve years. and a half years. Yeah. What's the boon of staying in a company for so long? Well, the one that I've been at for eight years, uh, you know, I feel like I've I've invested a lot in GQ and and GQ and Jim specifically. The editor in chief has invested a lot in me. There's just been a lot. First of all, the way we do things at GQ is we always tear stuff up and start again. Mm-hmm. So there's not even though a magazine comes out at the same time every month and it's a little bit, uh, it's like this cycle that could get really redundant. We make a point of redoing things, mm-hmm. and there's always new projects that have kept me interested and kept me learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I, I just feel like as I have um, grown here, I've been given the freedom to really sort of like make my ideas happen. So you do the GQ style Bible. Yeah. the Yeah, we have a um, twice a year fashion magazine called GQ style, which I edit. And how did that come about? I mean, it's it's obviously a shoe in for what you guys do here, but yeah. Um, and what's the mission? It, it's well, it started with Condé Nast saying, "Let's try these special issues that mm-hmm. um, come out just occasionally." And but stay the out. first one almost killed you dead because it was like yeah, the extra work with like irregular magazine duties and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, uh, figuring out how to like to to incorporate the workload was definitely intense, but. It, it was sort of a process. There were several different things that we tried. The mm-hmm. first one that Adam edited was the style manual, which was like head to toe, the state of style. Right. But then we realized you can only do that like every five or six years. True. Like, Otherwise you sound like wishy-washy as hell. It's like, now this is the yeah. total revolution Or you would just be style. saying the same thing. Right. So like if, if men's style changes drastically every six years, that's about how often you could do it. Uh, then we did the style guy with Glenn O'Brien, which right. was just like a, a, a whole book basically of of style guy questions and answers. And then this idea of GQ style sort of evolved and we've been playing with the balance of 
of what's in it. It's, so what is in it? Is it like a yearbook of this of like well, it's like biannual, but like, is the, it just like things that are going on this six months, or is it still yeah. like? No, it's it's very seasonal. It's like thirty uh, trends mm-hmm. t- that to know about right now. So like, what's going on style, and then we do these influence or they're called influencers, which is. Uh, the men, the the sort of like GQ icons from the past, right. who we think their style inform what's going on right now. Who do you think is a really important style person right now? Uh, other than me. Other than Mary <laughs> H.K. Choi and Will Welch. Um, uh, I had a really good time working on young Michael Jordan, who's really? in, the, in the current one. So okay. it was like looking at Jordan um, pre-championships. Right, so pre, was, pre-distressed jeans. Yes. Right. Yeah, and that's part of why it was fun, is to like look at his style then and then look at his style now. But would you consider him a style icon today? The current Michael yes, Jordan? Yes, the current iteration I, yeah, that we're stuck with right now. Uh, I, have to, <laughs> I have to say, yes, he's Michael Jordan. Like The whole idea of a brand being built around one guy. Right. Is, he's, is he him. will always be the Michael Jordan of Michael Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he totally. like some weird some mom jeans can't change that. It's true, and their yeah. mom jeans are very derigured nowadays. Anyway, that's right. What about um, someone who's more contemporary? Um, You're also so fucking old fashioned. I knew you would take pick a throwback person. Oh, I was thinking about these influencer things, which are all throwback people. You mean somebody right now? Yeah, contemporary who has amazing mm-hmm. style. ASAP Bari. ASAP Bari. You know my my ASAP knowledge. It doesn't like, run that deep. Like okay. I'm, a, I know who Rocky and Ferg are, and then it starts. And Ian Connor. I oh know my who god. Ian Connor is. Oh, you also wrote about Ian Connor. I have nothing to contribute that Mary hasn't already <laughs> contributed to the culture. Let's talk about Ian Connor. Just to give a little bit of background Please to people do. who aren't as inside baseball on Ian. The reason why we talk about him when we talk about Rocky, I would say he's a Virgil Abloh acolyte. Mm-hmm. He has like Raph Simmons tattoos all over his like face and chest. Very very into fashion. Kind of this like internet person in the sense that like he's very huge on social media but no one's altogether too sure of what he does but he started doing a lot of work in LA where he lives now where he does a lot of styling and he does a lot of consulting for streetwear brands but he literally is just some kid from the internet who got in with the ASAP mob and now is doing things. He said it, and so it was true. And that's why I think he's super awesome. Oh, it's yeah. Like, he t- decided he was king of the youth, and then that was The that. king of the youth, man. And and like, and who's to say he's not? Exactly. Because now he said it, and now all the youth say it, so it must be true. But I remember a time in hip-hop where everybody was like, yo, I'm the CEO of right. this or that. And now everybody's a creative director. Yes. Because of Virgil. Virgil. Because, well, Ian was saying that he didn't know what a creative director was until he met Virgil. Right. And Ian just one day decided he was a creative director and said it on Instagram, and now that it's true, now it's true. Well, do you want? And to that be, to me is fascinating. Do you want to be a creative director? I mean, like, where conti- do you go continu- after this? Continuing with the old school theme, I just like I don't really care what my title is. Like the style editor, there are ways in which that fits what I do every day, and there mm-hmm. are ways in which like I don't even know what that means. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know what that means, um, but I know what my job is here. So I'm just not like title based. It's not going to make me feel good if people are like, oh, Will Welch, creative director. Right. It's like not that does, make feel that better. doesn't connect to my feelings. Yeah. yeah. Um, what does connect to your feelings? Will, tell uh, us. <laughs> what connects to my feelings is. Um, You're saying that in such an impassioned way, by the way. <laughs> no, I, I do have passion around my feelings. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, when you are able to uh, make something that wasn't there before that connects to my feelings like mm-hmm. that, that, give, so that love, gives me a feeling of, of being high, you know? So you love the artifact. 
you love the time capsule making that magazine provides. You know, I, I'm, I have less of a connection to the artifact and more just like the shoot or the story. Mm-hmm. The fact that it exists. I don't care if it's in print or online or Oh, you don't care. So you don't is. have that you don't have that sort of old school hierarchical notion of like print being superior to online or online being superior to print. Nope, I don't. I really don't. I just want What uh, sign are you? I'm a Taurus. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't like uh I don't keep an archive of, you know, your, your one, house is like a Tinder box. Yeah. No, 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 <laughs> yeah. no. No, I don't and, and I don't like, You don't even have one issue of each. No, I don't. And and when the magazine comes back from the printer, I don't like run and dive for it and flip through it. I I know what's in there and I know the stuff that we made that I'm proud of and the stuff that I think could have been better. Um, yeah, what are you gonna do after this? I really don't know. I, you know, it's funny. I, I think about this a lot. My sister is the kind of person who like sets a goal and everything she Younger does. Younger or older? Older sister. Okay. She sets a goal and everything she does is a stepping to stone towards achieving. What that does goal. she do? She does, she's an analyst in okay. San Francisco. Okay. And it's just not the way I think. Like, uh, the stuff that's happened in my career so far has been a combination of me making it happen and it happening to me. And I think that will continue, and that's cool. What do you have to say to any sort of young people that want to skin your face and wear your face and have your job <laughs> and all that stuff? I, I think there are increasingly less young people who are, like, dying um, to be in magazines. To work in magazines, yeah, mm-hmm. which I think is, is fine and I think is interesting. One thing I've noticed, well, I don't want to sound like a grumpy old man, but there there is a tendency in the younger generation to, like, working at GQ to them is, like, how can I get my fo- my own photo on the website? Oh, so much the, as possible. the fame thing. Yeah, there's, there's a... People seem really interested in and desperate for micro-fame. And I yes. think that's very, I think there's no there, there's no there there. We uh, admire it when it's done well. Oh, absolutely. Because yeah. sometimes it's like an art form, like Ian for Connor, sure. who we're, sure. we were just talking about. That's like an that's that's an uh, that's a, a kind of creative enterprise on its own. But also, the thing that you and I can appreciate about an Ian Connor is that when he declares something as fashionable, he's rarely incorrect. Yeah, and well, it's sort of and it's the Kanye or Pharrell chicken or the egg thing too. Right. Because it's like, do these guys just know what's going to be in style, or does the fact of them saying, saying it make it so right. it's like, I guess that's what that's what being the nucleus is about well, that's I like think, the essential question I think that's the contemporary fashion in a nutshell yeah probably so look at me I'm in a nutshell yeah, yeah so. Ian, Ian and his sketchers <laughs> yeah, look yeah. at me I'm in a nutshell <laughs> um, no but like so the, actually that goes to a really interesting point so your philosophy and your approach to your career is very much the long con it's not the long con because I think um I don't know. It's so much. It's so much work for reward that you have to create for yourself. But, so it doesn't I mean, feel like a con. I know you do television and stuff like that, and you yeah. represent GQ publicly, yeah. and you you are very like visible, like in certain arenas. Mm-hmm. But so when you do mor- morning TV, you're not like finally it's me time. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely not. I you know that was something that um, that Adam did before me, and and that the. Uh, I was sort of asked to do here. You're and fulfilling was, the title. I was 100%. I never blinked about doing it. It's not like... It's off. That is not the reward. That's right. not why I, I like do work in order to get that moment on the Today Show or like talking about NBA style on TNT or something like that. And in fact, I have to really buck myself up to do it because you, you sort of have to be a more bubbly version of yourself. Right. And I haven't you gotten that. You can't be as cadavery as you normally are. Yeah, that's right. My, <laughs> my normal drag-ass self. No, but I, I've been trying to um, find that gear 
the more bubbly like TV gear because mm-hmm. it's it doesn't come naturally to me. Yes or no, dad bod. Dad like, by yes or no, like do I endorse the idea or do I yeah. have one? <laughs> Which are you asking? Tread carefully, my friend. <laughs> yeah. No, do you endorse the idea of 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 what about it? Just like just that it, it the, the, the lauding the mattress chested like sort of puffier frame. Uh, lauding it, I think. Is you know, it even a thing then? I, I what I would say is that um, part. Part of what I do, the like service-oriented part of GQ, which is like learn how to dress a little bit better and learn how to like learn some etiquette and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and my interpretation of it, my version of it, is like let's take hold of our own like manly selves and take an unflinching look at them right. and and sort of make, why do you, make why are some, you making man boob hands and saying <laughs> <to> them? <laughs> and and make some like informed decisions about about like who you are and who you want to be and what is good for you. And I think. Um, you know, some exercise is good for you. Oh, so you're anti-dad bod. So I gavel, guess, gavel, gavel. I guess I'm anti-dad bod. But you, you said yes you, or no questions. So I guess no, but we all, have dad, also we all have dad bod like aspects. So not really. I feel like maybe I, <laughs> you're, what? I mean, I feel like you very pointedly like started working out like a, a maniac a couple years ago. And that was like a thing that happened. Not like a not like a maniac. But Everything yeah. in moderation, but yeah. sure. But yeah, I started trying trying to exercise, and I felt very much better, like in my heart and in my soul, not just like looking better in clothes. Although that's a good side effect. So, how do you feel about men in Tiva? <laughs> I feel like you, d- you asked a yes or no dad bod question, and I took it so fucking seriously. <laughs> like, like we've got to talk about what this means. Uh, sorry cultur- about that. The cultural implications of dad bod. Okay, way easier question. Dudes and Tevas. Yeah, absolutely. Socks? Uh, socks with Tevas? No, and no, no socks with Tevas. So like pure mandel, loose, loose toes in the summertime. Yeah, because if Shrimping I shrimping man toes Tevas. If a guy who would like listen to a podcast and make decisions about his clothes is choosing to wear socks with Tevas, I think he might be kidding. And I just think that's super lame. You hate dressing with irony. Yeah, you've and, always. Yeah, dressing with irony is. And and then it's not even full irony, so it's just like I'm gonna do this because it's kind of dumb. I, I don't understand. I don't think the people who who make that decision know what they're trying to express. Oh, so you're saying, and it's that's like just kind of lame. So it's like sheepling. It's like by it's a non decision. It's like an alt sheep sheeple. And it's like, well, I don't even care. This is like right. funny or something. So I was you, like, that's ridiculous. So you were never into normcore. Yeah, not as a joke. You, yeah, I you were actually much, sincere I, about yeah, 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 yeah. Like not, heritage American brand. Yeah, or or just some like washed out, some old washed out Levi's is awesome. Right. Um, and I and I do think that like to take a, a second look at the design of like an NYC tourist cap from Canal Street, right. like Dev Hines would wear. Yeah. To like look again at that um, as being dope, I think that's super awesome. Totally. And and. Uh, so I am kind. Of, I am kind of into normcore, but not as like a waffle non-decision, right? Or an attempt to like be funny, but there's not even a joke there, right? You know what I mean? Not like poking fun at the mainstream America aspect of it. Yeah, not at all. You're, That's well, ridiculous. Yeah, you're from the American yeah. South. I am that. You are. Yeah. How do you feel about Richard Prince selling Instagram photos for a hundred thousand dollars of other people without their permission? Uh, I think it's. I think it's super. Yeah, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, it's uh, you know he it's it's like Richard Prince being Richard Prince co-op, in the most co- co-opting it, spinning it like yeah. nobody else could. If 
you know, part of the, it's like, that's not art. Cause anybody could do that except he's the one who had it up in the Gagosian gallery and he's the one who did it. I'm really not into people criticizing. You hear it all the time where it's like, well, anyone could do that. Like some writer who, who people feel like isn't that great, but has gotten somewhere mm-hmm. or has said something or like caused a firestorm. Um, if people are just like, well, anybody could do that. It's like, but yeah, they did it. True. Yeah. It's like, also, I like anyone who's like so effective at 360 trolling everything. Yes. Yeah, Richard <laughs> just Prince like shrapnel of trolling yeah. everywhere, just yeah. flying. I know. Trolls and savages are, 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 are like super awesome. Yeah. The GQ <laughs> Facebook savages are uh, super rad. Yeah. Who is the contemporary GQ reader? You know, there are definitely a Do lot. Do you even GQ, bro? I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I, I really should uh, have an immediate answer to that. And but I spend so much time thinking about the GQ voice and what the GQ voice sounds like that who it's supposed to connect to. I'm less concerned with who it's supposed to connect to than what it should sound like. How's that for a non-answer? No, actually, I think it's a great answer. I think it's like the only thing you can do. Yeah, it's probably the correct answer in this, you know, ever-changing tide of like contemporary media. Yeah, and it's like if you say something uh, smart and package it in a way that's modern and compelling, and then put it out there, it's sort of you. It's almost like a I don't know a musician writing songs for like a particular audience. That right. would that would be a bad idea. I, now I'm comparing myself to music. This is this is uh, not a fruitful line. <laughs> but the, the short, the short <laughs> yeah, the short answer is I I don't know and I don't spend that much time thinking about it because I spend a lot of time thinking about like what GQ should look and feel like and sound like. Mm-hmm. I think that's time well spent. Oh my God, look at us! I think that's the end of the interview conceivably. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Good. <laughs> It's like so tidy. Oh, actually, final question. If someone's like, oh, my God, Will's awesome. I would like to know more about this person. Mm-hmm. How How is the most effective way of approaching you just as you, you know, approached Adam or like whatever? Uh, I guess email. Yeah? Yeah. That w- works? Yeah. Will underscore Welch at ConnieNass.com. And what do you do you still like? take meetings where people are like, do you mind if I take you out for coffee and rummage your brain? Yeah, totally. Do you do? God. Yeah. I don't, uh, I feel like you'd be inundated and you'd get nothing done. Well, it's usually people that I, I know I have some reference for in right. some context rather than just a random email. Yeah, of course. Like time is, time makes that tricky, but I'm, I'm super up for that. And so what about, I, I don't what have about, like advice on how to, what about talking shit about you in your um, comments of your own Instagram feed? Does that work? Like yes. you just start throwing rocks at you. That's fine. No, like <laughs> I said, the savages are encouraged. Like you're not, I don't have any savages, which means I'm not that good at Instagram. Mm, true. You're kind of shit at social media. As yeah, a matter of fact. I know. But you are verified. I think that's really important to <laughs> talk about in terms of why I would interview you today. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Verification feels good. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're pretty much done. Okay, cool. Thank you so much for coming on. And thank I, you for making a rolling discussion because I was, uh, I had anxiety about how to talk about myself. I um, know. Well, that's the thing that's so nice about this podcast is cause I just put you nerds on the spot. Yeah. Pointed, pointed questions without time for thinking about that. And like no crutches, like, you know, social lubricants and alcohol. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's just a little, it's the morning. It is so the morning. Yeah. Um, thanks. Good morning. Thank you, Mary. Okay, bye.